Welcome to the Physician Negotiator Podcast, where no decision is left to chance. With your host, Doc of All Trades. And welcome to the show. And today uh, I have a special guest, Dr. Cindy Van Prague. She is owner and operator of Spring of Hope Center. Um, it, I believe it's a ketamine infusion um, center um, clinic in Spring, Texas. And the website is called, I believe it is, uh, springcenterofhope.com. Cindy, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Wow, what a, you know, so I've been wondering about the uh, ketamine clinics for a long time. And I just, you and I just met at the first annual Physicians Helping Physicians Conference. And uh, it's called the Non-Physician, Non-Clinical Career Celebration Networking and Meeting. It was just this past um, April 6th and 7th, 2009 in Austin. And I had a blast. I had a blast meeting you. And um, a funny thing happened during the conference. A ton of people came up to me and asked me what type of careers they could start, and specifically in, in the ketamine business. And and I was like, what a coincidence. I met somebody who's an expert at that. That's you. I guess that's me. Yes. That's you, yes. <laughs> so, so, you know, I, I thought it was really, really neat that I met you. Um, I meet myself. I've always had a curiosity about um, starting a ketamine clinic. I'm an anesthesiologist, and I believe you are as well. Yes, Is that correct? Uh, that's and correct. I, I have numerous friends who are, are have also been interested in starting ketamine clinics. So, if you don't mind, kind of introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and how did you get into the ketamine business? Sure. Uh, well, this all started out in Chicago, and you know, I went to med school and got my MD, and went to residency in anesthesiology in Chicago also. Um, I spent about nine years in Arizona as a partner of a large anesthesia group. It was MD owned, so it was pretty fantastic. Uh, but then moved to Houston for family reasons and did about four years of mobile anesthesia where I would be doing office-based anesthesia for surgeons in their office, which is a whole nother ballgame. Um, about two years ago, however, I, I, moved on into the ketamine business. So I opened up a business with a, a business partner who's a nurse and it's Spring Center of Hope. And we provide IV ketamine infusions for a, a variety of patients. And I think I have, my whole career is kind of built up to this point. I have always been restless. I have always wanted something more. I, you know, attended the SEEK conference in Chicago years ago. I attended this, you know, the PHP conference you just mentioned, all of these things. I think I'm an entrepreneur at heart, um, and I am so fulfilled with this ketamine infusion clinic that started about two years ago now. Now, so, you know, with your office-based practice, um, did you start that business or did you, did, you get, did you hire into that business? No, I hired into that business, uh, um, and that's, that's basically the job that I took when I moved here to Houston. Um, and I worked with a great doctor who owns mobile anesthesiologists of, of Houston. And so, and together we did a lot of cases in the office. So did you learn your business acumen through that practice? Uh, I think I honestly just learned it on the job. Um, my husband is not a doctor, which is great because he compliments me. And he is such a business-minded fellow that I think I learned a lot from him. Um, and he's really supported me this whole time. So I just learned on the job. And when I say on the job, I mean I mean with, this, with Spring Center of Hope. I just jumped right in and I learned this as I went. 
That's amazing. What gave you the courage to take the final the, the final leap, if you will? I was done being restless. I was done trying to search for what is, what am I going to do? What is my business going to be? Should I should I open a wellness center? Should I do this? Should I do that? And and really, the opportunity came along when my business partner had a family member, um, a 15 year old girl, suicidal. Um, who I, I knew personally and multiple, multiple attempts, um, almost successful many times. And her psychiatrist told her and the mom, he pretty much threw up his hands and said, I don't know what else to do for you. So the mom basically found through online research, ketamine is an alternative. And so we watched this transition or of this girl who was almost, she was just lifeless to now she's another person. It was a 180. So that's what really sparked, you know, my business partner and I saw that and we're like, you know what, we can do this. Absolutely. We can set this up and save people's lives. And so I really have a heart for, um, even though I'm in my background is in anesthesiology, but man, I have a heart for these mental health people that come in, especially the suicidal patients. You know, and that just gives me chills because I think all of us got into medicine ultimately to to want to help people. Mm-hmm. And I feel like at least in anesthesia, I'm not sure how you feel about this. Me personally, sometimes I'm not sure if I'm helping people or not. <laughs> you know, um, some some days you just kind of go through the whole day and and I feel like I've accomplished nothing. But you now it sounds like your work has purpose and meaning and you actually can see uh, your your efforts and the lives that you're changing. Right, right. And I used to think anesthesiology was perfect for me because I'm an introvert by nature. And so I thought, oh, this is great. You know, I interview the patient and I talk to them for 10, 15 minutes and then I put them to sleep. And so my only interaction has to be with the surgeon and the staff in the operating room. But I guess... As, as time goes on, I realize I, I do want more interaction with my patients and I do want to talk with them. And I'm, I'm there for each infusion that we do at our clinic. And so I'm very involved and I talk nonstop now. So um, for being an introvert, I, uh, I'm a different person now. Yeah. You know, I would have never guessed that about you. Uh, I know when I met you in Austin, you were very open. I felt yeah. very comfortable talking to you. You didn't feel like you were guarded at all. <laughs> That's great. Good. Yeah. Um, and so you kind of, I mean, you led into a couple of my questions, but let's let's back up a little bit. And first, you, you gave me a one one indication for a ketamine clinic, mm-hmm. but basically, again, can, let's let's take a step back. So most of the audience is going to be physicians. There'll be some physicians though aren't really familiar with ketamine. So basically, what is ketamine, and and uh, what is it used for, and how does it work? Right. So ketamine has been around for over 60 years. Uh, it's I know it well from the operating room. So we use that as an anesthetic, as an adjunct to our anesthesia. It is also used in emergency rooms um, you know, for, you know, acute pain control for setting, you know, let's say dislocation, setting a bone. So ER docs are very familiar with it. And also it's been used on the battlefield. And I think that's where it started. It's it's a drug that doesn't cause respiratory depression. It doesn't cause a drop in blood pressure. It's actually a very safe drug to use in a situation like the battlefield, for example, when you can't monitor the patient as well. So it's been, it has a long history of use in in those three areas. Now the dose that you use in an anesthetic is much, much higher than what you're using in your clinic, correct? 
Correct. Um, yeah. So I, if I use a dose in the operating room, I will be pushing or giving a bolus. And in the clinic, it might be that same dose, but it's spread out over an hour. So we give it by, I in my clinic, I give it by IV uh, and I infuse that dose over an hour. So yeah, but minute by minute, it is a much, much lower dose. And and why why IV infusion versus other um, mechanisms of of uh, uptake? Well, my ch- well, it's you can give it in many different routes of administration. You can give it nasally and IM and IV. Uh, the reason I chose IV is because. It's 100% uptake. You know what you're giving is reaching the brain, it, and I have complete control over it. So I'm using an infusion pump, and I can stop at any time. I can increase my rate. I can decrease my rate. I have complete control over how much ketamine this patient's getting. Um, that being said, other docs and other ketamine clinics do primarily, you know, intramuscular injection. And really? I didn't know that. they do. Uh-huh. And I think that might be more of the psychiatrists out there um, who may, maybe aren't as familiar with using IV routes. And that is effective as well. Although, um, as you can imagine, once you give a shot, you can't take it back. So if you're giving, if they have a reaction to it or or it doesn't have the same right effect that you want, it's hard to change that. So um that's why I and, chose it. And and I know for, I have, I, I can tell you a story that happened to me when I did IM infusion once, but I won't get into that, but I agree with you. It's very unpredictable. So with, at least with IV, you can always turn it off and, and then you're, you're back to where you started. Right. Um, um, now, the, what, are, what are the risks associated with doing something like this, like from a patient perspective? Well, there are a couple things. So, and we screen our patients carefully for this. So ketamine is known to have um, an effect on your blood pressure. So for example, it can raise your blood pressure. Um, it can raise the heart rate. So we screen for, of course, hyper uncontrolled hypertension, um, any cardiovascular disease. Um, other risks might be if, um, and we screen again for this, other mental health disorders such as schizophrenia or mania. You don't want to give ketamine to these people or you might exacerbate their that diagnosis. So if I find if you screen patients appropriately, you minimize their risks of, of the scary things, you know, like heart problems or going into mania. Um, minor risks would be things like nausea, you know, um, or them not being comfortable with this dissociative feeling that you get under ketamine. Um, so there is kind of a, it runs the gamut of minor to major, and we try to really screen out those that might have major effects from it. So based upon that, we know who not to give it to. Who, who's the, who would be an ideal candidate for this type of therapy? The ideal candidate. So this, I'll back up. This therapy can treat not just the mental health disorders that I'll list, but also chronic pain. So starting with mental health disorders, the ideal patient uh, for depression, for example, would be treatment-resistant depression. So that's a patient who has been struggling with depression, who has tried at least two different courses of antidepressants and failed that therapy. That is our ideal patient for uh, depression. And moving on to suicidal ideations, our ideal patient is not the acutely suicidal person. We're not, you know, that's for the emergency room. Uh, But those chronic suicidal thoughts that, that are plaguing these people day by day. And then you move on to other diagnoses we treat. We have OCD and anxiety and um, PTSD. Again, those things are, are 
issues that have been treated by a psychiatrist or a primary care physician and haven't responded to treatment. So we don't call ourselves the first in line at treating these things. We are second or third in line. We are after these patients have tried and tried, you know, traditional therapies and even psychotherapy, and it just hasn't worked. Um, and moving on to chronic pain, it's, you know, we treat things like, uh, you know, neuropathy and fibromyalgia. And again, these are patients who have not, you know, succeeded with traditional therapies. And, and, I, and I reviewed your website, and I highly recommend everybody go check it out if you have any interest in this, because you did a very, very nice job explaining um, uh, who, are these, who, who these patients are and why they would benefit from it. Um, and what, what kind of a success have you had with these types of patients? So with the, our mental health patients, I think our highest rate of success is for these the treatment-resistant depression patients and the suicidal ideations. And when I say high rate, I would say seven, I would say seven to eight out of ten of our patients have a significant improvement that affects their life and they are able to move on, um, which is a pretty good rate. That's incredible. And also, I guess your your partner's daughter was impacted. So are you seeing a lot of teens as well? We are, and um, we, as has it's well known, you know, these teens these days, as opposed to when I was a teenager, um, are struggling with more depression and, and suicidal thoughts in, in particular. And so we are getting a large number of teens. Um, we're partnering with uh, a DBT therapist this summer, and she, that's her specialty. So maybe that's why we're seeing more, but... Um, yeah, it, it breaks my heart, but that's how we got into this this specific business with that fifteen year old girl. Wow. Yeah. Are you getting Are you getting the clients who um, through referral, or are you getting them through your website? How, how are they getting to you? I'd say the majority of our patients find us online, and that we are getting more and more referrals direct from psychiatrists and therapists as as they're learning more about ketamine as an option. Um, but usually what we have to do is, you know, the patient will come to us first and then we need to tell them, you know what, you really do need to have your mental health provider um, on board with this. I, I'm not going to diagnose the mental health illness. illness. I am not going to I'm not going to tweak your psychiatric medications. I am not going to, you know, I'm not going to work on that side of it. I'm solely providing the ketamine infusion experience. So with those people who find us, by themselves, we do have them contact their psychiatrist or therapist or whoever's managing their mental health, and we work together. I see. So, so you can just walk off the street and get an, uh, an infusion like today, as an example. <laughs> no, it's it's a little harder okay. to get into us than that. Okay, and so again, typically, mental health referral mm-hmm. um, with a with already an established diagnosis. That way, for you, right. you know, it's it's easy to, to justify doing the, the infusion. Right. Um, have, do you have, do you ever do any marketing? We do. And that's been a lot of trial and error. As I said, we learned on the job. Um, most of our marketing is online because that's where most of our patients find us. Um, you know, early on we did, you know, radio marketing, we did Facebook, we did, you know, we did everything we could think of, but I think online has been the most successful. 
What kind of uh, marketing strategies have you been using online? Well, honestly, um, we did great with Facebook ads, paid Facebook ads, until they um, dropped our account because of the word ketamine. So you're kidding. Word to the wise. Uh huh. Yeah, we are no longer able to run Facebook ads because um, they think we are promoting an illegal substance. So. We've come up to some roadblocks uh, like that, um, but otherwise we've been using more, you know, SEO optimization. We've used Google AdWords um, and basically just getting ourselves out there everywhere we can online. I imagine online and in your practice. I mean, you, you've only been doing it for two years, so you maybe you haven't even reached that critical number yet, where you'll you'll go exponential. I, I'm hoping, yes. I, I, you know, it's really built up over the past month and a half. Um, when the FDA approved esketamine or Spravato uh, in early March of this year, business has picked up not only in our location, but across the country in ketamine clinics. And, and that's what I was going to Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So what, what was the final uh, verdict on that exactly? Like, Right. The final verdict is the FDA has approved the drug from Johnson and Johnson called Spravato. It's it's also known as esketamine, and for treatment resistant depression, and that is a big win. Um, before March of this year, the FDA has not supported ketamine for everything I've talked about. So it's been used off label essentially um, at our clinic. So now we have FDA backing on the fact that it, this is a real treatment. Um, the question going forward though, is, is our insurance company is going to support the use of ketamine? So the ketamine and esketamine are two different drugs, really. Ketamine is, is a racemic drug. It's a mix of, you know, going back to chemistry, um, the two, the R and S enantiomers. Esketamine is just half of that, right? It's just the S enantiomer. So it's esketamine and that's what they called it. Um, so that is the portion that is FDA approved. And, and are you giving both? Or are you just uh, are you are you just going to give uh, Spravato? So at our clinic, we are just giving ketamine. Um, we are looking into giving Spravato. However, since it was just approved, it's going to take two or three months to really get that rolled out. Uh, they have a lot of restrictions on um, how they can distribute that drug to clinics. Uh, the patients have to, there's a, a set protocol that we have to administer that drug in the office. And there are a lot of hurdles to jump over. Um, and just, you know, seeing what patients, their feedback on Spravato is they haven't been too happy right now because they have to show up in the clinic for two hours, twice a week for the first month. And then every, once a week, and they stay for two hours, once a week for a month, and then every other week ongoing. Um, which is a big terrible. time investment. And it's so, however, it's almost as if they're trying to run their own clinical trial and or kind of, you know, pad their uh, pocketbook a little bit there. It's, and I, under, I understand that uh, to bring this drug to market taste, takes millions and millions of dollars. And I understand they need to get paid for that. But the attitude of the patients is that they're feeling, you know, they're just getting soaked from these, the, the big pharma. So, um, it remains to be seen how well it's going to take off. Yeah. Well, uh, 
Okay. Well, you, you did mention that a uh, psychiatrist also administers IM ketamine. Who, who, who is, who is uh, legally licensed to be, administer ketamine? So, um, well, medical doctor, you know, MD, DOs are, can administer ketamine off for off-label uses. Um, so psychi- there are, and to take that back, some psychiatrists use IV also because they believe it's more effective. Um, there, but there, guess, having said that, there are many clinics that are run by other uh, providers, such as nurse practitioners, um, CRNAs, which are um, basically certified nurse anesthetists. And I think those providers are having a medical director that's an MD that basically signs off on the ketamine infusions. Now, this, you know, the rules vary state by state. Um, so, you know, I'm not a lawyer and I know it's, it can be it can be sticky with each state, but uh, any medical doctor for sure can prescribe this. Did, did you look into that for Texas yourself? Well, I honestly didn't need to since I'm an MD and I already knew I could um, I could. But, you know, going forward, if I want to expand and have more clinics in Texas, um, I think it still wouldn't be a problem because I would be overseeing those clinics. So, for example, if I get a second clinic and I hire a nurse practitioner to oversee that clinic, I I would still be medical director. So that's why I guess I don't have all the great answers on, um, you know, what the other more mid-level providers can do. Because hmm. I, I was thinking that exact same thing in terms of scaling, mm-hmm. but you did mention you're there and you, you like it, you enjoy speaking to your patients. So right now, it seems to me the limiting factor would be you being there, right? There's only so many hours in a day. It is. You're absolutely right. There is a cap on how much time I can spend there. But at the same time, it sounds like you really enjoy it. So that's kind of nice too, though. Right. Exactly. Well, that, well, that answers that question. Now, I noticed I, I, I got to your website. And I started looking at the pictures. By the way, your website is fantastic. I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed being on there. Oh, thank you. Um, and uh, there was a picture. You actually even have a video of, of you kind of giving a an example of what a patient would go through through the whole experience. Right. And I, I noticed in the corner of the office you had a defibrillator. Um, and what kind of monitors do you use when when you have patients in the room and you're and you're administering the uh, the ketamine? Right. So we use. Oh yeah, I like her defibrillator. Uh, we, we use continuous <laughs> monitoring. So, and this is probably my anesthesia background and and doing office based anesthesia. So I adhere to essentially I adhere to office based anesthesia rules and regulations. So they have continuous ECG monitoring. Uh, we I do a blood pressure check every five minutes. They have continuous pulse oximetry monitoring. Um, I one step beyond that would be end tidal CO2 monitoring, which I have not needed to do because I'm not getting down to uh, moderate to deep sedation levels. So um, we do have backup as you saw we have defibrillator actually we have they have them in each room. It's part of our monitor, which makes it convenient. And we do have everything else you could possibly need. We have suction, we have oxygen, we have a crash cart. I have all of my airway that, devices that I might need to secure an airway. So we have um, outfitted our office with everything you could need. And would you say that's the norm or, or because you're an anesthesiologist, you, that's, that's the standard that you set yourself to? I would say... Just in talking with other um, ketamine docs, it, the majority of them, I'm sure, have at least a crash cart and all of the emergency backup supplies. Um, as far as 
actual monitoring, I think that might vary clinic to clinic as far as how often they take their blood pressure or even if they do continuous ECG. I think that's more variable from clinic to clinic. Now, now, how many patients do you typically run concurrently? We would on, we only do two at a time. So I am there. We're a small clinic. I I am there with my nurse, and I feel comfortable with having at least a one on one one to one ratio for each of our patients. We have the capability to run three at a time, but uh, I prefer to have at least one person available for each patient if they need us. And so you're kind of sitting there like like you would in, in the OR, just kind of keeping keeping vitals, or what are you doing? What are you doing with them that whole time? Just talking? No, um, I well the rooms are close together. I keep the door open partially. I can see the monitor. I can hear the beeping. I can hear the tone, and oftentimes our patients will have a family member with them or a therapist with them, um, and so we let them just do whatever works for the patient. Sometimes they just want to listen to music. Sometimes they want to hold a therapy session. Um, Other times they just want to close their eyes and not interact with anybody. So it depends on the patient, but I do check in frequently. I'm always listening and I'm always watching the monitor, but I'm not always right next to my patient, but I'm about 10 to 15 feet away at all times. That's uh, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Uh, What kind of recovery do you, so you you run the infusion for 40 minutes. How long do you watch them for the recovery period? The recovery is usually about 20 minutes. Um, and, and I've been running my patients a little bit longer. Um, so 40 minutes, 50 minutes, even up to an hour, depending on what dose they're getting and how they respond. Um, but even if I run them up to an hour, since it's such a low dose, they're usually ready to go home in about 20 minutes. And these are for the mental health infusions. Okay. Now also, uh, you know, you mentioned, the the regiment for um, the Spravato. What type of regimen do you do for your patients in terms of frequency and length of follow up? So for the initial regimen is to complete a series of six infusions over the course of about two to three weeks, uh, and we don't require our patients to commit to this upfront. So they take it day by day, uh, and they they show up at the office and pay for that day and almost all of them complete the series of six. And, and we base that off of um, research, multiple research papers that have shown that that's what's effective when we picked that number six. And I think you'll find that across the country too. Um, so as far as follow-up, once they complete that series, depending on how severe their mental health issue was, some people come back two weeks later for a booster, as we call it. So a booster would be one infusion. And then they might come back uh, two or three weeks after that. Other patients do so well that they don't come back for two or three months after that series of six. So it really is patient dependent as far as how often we see them again in the office. Um, We do call them by phone and make sure they're doing okay. Uh, but if they're doing okay, we just we let them come to us after we that initial follow up to make sure the infusion went okay, and they they let us know when their mood is starting to dip and then they might need an infusion soon. Okay, has there ever been a case where you've had a series and then they never needed an additional uh, booster? Well, that's a great question because those patients, either they never needed one and went into remission for a year or they are lost to follow-up. <laughs> so, uh, right. so, yeah. The point is it's not really a cure then. It's just, it's, it's, 
that requires maintenance, right? That, exactly. This is not a one-time cure. This is not a magic bullet. This will require maintenance. This will require hard work on the part of the patient in other ways too. They must follow up with their psychiatrist or psychologist. They must participate in self-care. We have a lot of suggestions for this. Um, they must be a part in their own healing. So they, they, we stress this to our patients you know, before they come in and when they come in, this is, this is, you don't just show up for this one drug and it's going to fix your life. It's one key, you know, it's one tool in the toolbox, I guess we should say it's, they must be involved with all these other aspects of their, of their recovery for it to be successful. Yeah. I, I, it sounds, yeah, as a business model, it does sound really, really, really nice. Cause you actually are helping some, some of the most resistant patients out there, mm-hmm. but Hey, so let's do a, I'm going to do a quick commercial break and we'll be right back. Okay. Are you feeling a little tired of clinical practice? What if you knew how to get a non-clinical Are you feeling a little tired of clinical practice? What if you knew how to get a non-clinical job you love? What if you could transform your current practice to suit your life and needs? Well, believe it or not, you're not the first physician or medical profession to feel this way. Hundreds of your peers have also felt this way and did something about it. Don't feel alone or isolated. Take the steps to make your life and career everything you want it to be. Dr. Michelle Mudge-Royley, owner and founder of Physicians Helping Physicians, have helped many people just like you escape the medical rat race and help them transform their careers and lives in the process. Really, now all you need is to take the first step. Head over to phphysicians.com and see if Michelle could help you. If you sign up today using my coupon code, you can even get 25% off. The code is XYWZ61333J. That's XYWZ61333J. You don't have to be stuck anymore. You didn't get this far without intelligence, hard work, and compassion. You owe it to yourself to have the career you always wanted. Don't let it limiting beliefs hold you back. Head over to PHP, that is Physicians Helping Physicians, at phphysicians.com. That's phphysicians.com. All right, we're back. And, you know, so this is the Physician Negotiator Podcast. Uh, Again, I'm with uh, Dr. Cindy Van uh, Prague, correct, Cindy? That's correct. Okay. And so it wouldn't be a negotiation podcast if we didn't talk about negotiation in business. So uh, we've talked about what a ketamine business is and who you serve. But the question is, you know, how hard is it to open one of these clinics? Now, you've talked a little bit about some of the struggles you've had. Um, how, what, what more can you share with us about, about the whole process? Well, so we started two years ago, um, before there were as many options for help as there are today. So for me, it may have been a little bit more of a struggle. Um, and so I think it starts with research and we, I started with reading everything I could get my hands on about ketamine and can I find protocols and does it really work? And, and, and am I going to hurt my patients or help them? And so all of this, you know, intense reading went on before I decided to open my business. Um, and once I was sure that this was a a great, um, great uh, drug to provide, then came the, just the nuts and bolts of how to open a business. And, 
that was actually really exciting for me because I love to learn. And so it just comes with, you know, picking your name and, and finding a facility. And, and once you have an address then you can move on and you need your DEA license and you need to look up regulations and they're just, uh, you need to do a market analysis and a business plan. And so all of these things, um, were a challenge, but very exciting. And that took a little time. Well, a little by, I mean, maybe a couple months when we just spent time setting up the business structure. And then we opened our doors and um, it's just really learning as we go. Now, when I mentioned today, uh, I think folks have a little bit easier time because there are resources. So uh, for example, there's a Facebook group I stumbled upon a few days ago that's called Ketamine Startup. Uh, oh gosh, Ketamine Startup Clinic, I believe. And it has over 2,300 people signed up on this Facebook group. And that's where they can go and just ask other people all the, you know, how, how do you set up a ketamine clinic? Um, there are other people out there who are, who are literally, you know, being consultants and helping uh, individual, individuals set up their own clinic. So I think there are a lot more of us out there that know how to do it. So I think we're able to speed up the process. Uh, for those folks that are looking into it now versus two years ago. Now, who did you hire to, to develop your business plan? Uh, we just, we did it ourselves. Um, and I think it was just input from, you know, my husband. Uh, we, we did have a business lawyer. Uh, we have our own web webmaster. So it was just pulling together these people around us and we figured it out. And, you know, it's a great way to do it, but I think it might be a little slower than, hiring someone to help you. And what kind of an investment requirement did it uh, did you did you need to put forth to start? I think the biggest part of the investment was honestly uh, the property, the lease. Um, so we signed for uh, rented an office and it, you know if, if I could go back and change one thing, I would not have spent as much money on rent as we did. Um, Man, that just that was a big, <laughs> big loss for money. So, what 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 would happen? How did how did that become a problem? Did you, was your space too big? I think our space was too big. Um, our business plan that we put together was probably a little too optimistic. So we were spending a lot of money on overhead, um, which could have trickled down to us. So going back, I would have chosen a smaller space, uh, and, and ideally maybe just rented a space, a room or two rooms from, from another practice and just, and let it grow and then moved on to a bigger space. So, um, you know, if you take that part out of it, it really doesn't take too much money to get this started. I think the bulk of the money was on our rent. And, you know, typically when you rent, a, did you rent like a vanilla box and then uh, you had it outfitted with the, with the, the walls that you needed and all the, all the different things that you needed? Is that, or did you buy a space that was already uh, pre-constructed? Oh, no. Yeah, no, it was, it was move-in ready. We did not have to spend any money on outfitting that space. Now, when you say you wish you would have not done that, uh, what would you have done? Would you have hired somebody to help you with that process? Or how, how would you have, you know, you said you would have just rented a room and then maybe slowly grown. Um, have you spoken to any, somebody about doing this in the process? Um, I, I, I guess it all comes back to my husband again, but that was his idea. And I, I didn't listen. I said, no, I'm going to do this my way. And um, <laughs> because I'm independent, right? Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, I, 
that's what I recommend to people now who'd come up and talk to me and ask me how to get started. I say, look, you know, just you can get some great rooms in a great office space where you don't, you're not responsible for the entire rent. And so I think that's a, a great idea to get started. Well, being a uh, cash only business, um, I guess that's, that's really what it comes down to. It's there's cash flow issues. And if you have overhead, you want to, you know, reduce your overhead so that you can, you could have at least some money coming into the, into the process. Now, one thing you did online, which I thought was very interesting is you have transparent pricing. You can just go to your website right now, um, springcenterofhope.com. And there it is right there. Right. Um, so wh- why did you decide to do that? I'm curious. Well, I, I think we have always left those numbers up there. I think we've always been transparent because I mean, number one is that some people are looking based solely on price and they're comparing prices across town. And I think we picked a competitive price range. And number two is I think people honestly get annoyed when the price isn't there and they have to call you to find out. Um, And we didn't want to limit those people either. We wanted as many people call and as many people um, coming to us as possible. So we didn't really want those phone calls or it just says, you know, answer the phone. How much does it cost? Okay. Thank you. Bye. You know, we didn't, we didn't want that. We wanted people who are serious. No, I think that's amazing. I really, uh, I really like that model. Um, now in terms of the price you chose, you said you, did you look at your competitors or how did you come up with that particular price? Oh, definitely. So in our market analysis, we studied all of the other clinics in, in Houston and that was, you know, two years ago, but that keeps going. We're always looking at our competitors. And so that's how we chose our price range. Um, we don't want to undercut everybody in town and have the lowest price in town. I don't think that's a smart idea. Uh, but we do want to stay competitive. In terms of competition, would you say that it, at least in Houston, is there a lot of competition or is it manageable? I think we're it's building up to a fair amount of competition. Um, we've When we started out, we may have had another four clinics or five clinics, and that's probably doubled since um, since we started a couple of years ago. Um, so you did mention at some point that you would consider doing a second clinic. Are there any areas that, that are available in Houston now with that kind of growth? I think there, I think there are. I think there are some. You know, thankfully Houston is, uh, as if I recall correctly, the third largest city in the United States, if not fourth. Um, so it is very large with metropolitan areas, and, and not everyone's able to drive all the way into the into town. So we are located in the north side, actually, kind of in the suburbs. But I think there are some parts of you know outskirts of Houston that can be serviced um, by a new ketamine clinic. Excellent. Um, do you ever find, is it, is your business have any seasonality at all or is it always consistent or what, what do you find with that, with your business? I, we have found cycles for sure. Uh, we have found that it drops off in January around the holidays, you know, end of December, early January. Um, it dropped off again. I think it was in about summertime. We have a little bit of a dip. So it does go up and down. And again, you know, we've only been open for almost a couple of years, but uh, I think it will go in cycles for any clinic. Okay. Has your cash flow then grown like year by year? It Definitely. It has. And especially in the past month and a half. So we're, we're much more happy. Well, <laughs> And you said the month and a half you had a you had a key um, was it a, a some type of clinician who was starting to refer to you now? Well, I think I think it was 
education with uh, Spravato coming to market and the FDA. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was a big turning point. Um, you know, that they almost did the marketing for us. So, we, you know, you saw doctors on Good Morning America uh, talking about ketamine. And so we actually had a lot of calls from people saying, wow, I didn't know this was out there. And I saw this on TV. And, and then I just Googled, you know, ketamine near me and uh, you popped up and voila, they're on the phone with me. And once we get people on the phone, um, that's, that's, that's what we want, but that's a conversion to us. When we can talk to someone on the phone and have a chance to explain it and, and let them hear how passionate we are about it and let them learn how it can help them, then that's what brings in customers. And that's, that's what we want. And, and, you know, I think, I think your, your passion for it really, really shines through, at least in my conversation with you. And I'm sure when you're talking to them on the phone, um, the same thing comes through. So they really, I could, I could sense that you really care about people um, and you're not in it just for the money. Um, having said that, so you transitioned, would you say you've transitioned out of medicine or you've transitioned into a, maybe an, um, you've, you've, you've transitioned into retail medicine and, and um, how would you say you feel now that you've done that? Well, so I am a part-timer. So I still practice anesthesia part-time. Um, and I, and I do this, my ketamine business, it's technically part-time that I'm there, but really I'm, it's on my mind full time. Um, so I have, I am slowly backing out of the anesthesia business and moving into something where I have more control and something that brings me a lot more joy and makes me more happy. So I, I consider myself still transitioning and still always looking for something else that excites me. Um, and I, I will always, I think I will always compliment the, compliment the ketamine business with something else, um, whether it's sticking with anesthesia or whether it's doing a consulting business or uh, podcasting, maybe. So it's, it's going, I will always be looking for something else too. Well, you're, you're definitely a natural at the podcasting. By the way, I didn't mention this to everybody, but this is your inaugural podcast, yes, right? Yes, it is. First time ever. You're a natural, I'm oh, telling you. you. And, and I think you sound really happy with this ketamine business. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I, I'm, I'm sure that's coming through today. Do you, um, so, so you mentioned that you're still part-time anesthesia. Do you think if, if someone else were to start a ketamine clinic, you, you think that'd be enough to sustain them as a sole, a sole source of income? Not in the beginning. No, it is not. It, even now, if I was to stop doing anesthesia, this is not enough to live on. This is not. So, um, yeah, this is not a business to go into to it's not a get rich quick business. Um, it definitely has a potential for growth, which will take time. And it doesn't mean that in the future it won't be couldn't be a, sor- a sole source of income. Uh, there are some, you know, great success stories of a couple, you know, um, uh, Steve Levine is a doctor who is head over 10 ketamine clinics. Uh, so he's doing fantastic, right? He doesn't need to do another job. But most of the clinics are probably like mine, where the docs are, or the, the, the providers are doing other jobs at the same time. Okay. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, you and I both obviously attended the Physicians Helping Physicians Conference. And, I, you know, I'm also part-time. I'm not full-time. 
Um, and I think it, it is nice to have uh, multiple streams of income. So congratulations. So this is awesome. You have a second stream of income. And I think the more we do that, the more we can take control over our lives. And you, you did mention that. Um, the more control, I felt like physicians in general, especially employed physicians, feel like they have such little control over their lives. And so the more streams of income you could have, the better. And so I, I do think the ketamine clinic is a viable option. I personally have contemplated many times. People have come up to me many times asking me to be their medical director. I just didn't know enough about it to take it um, seriously. And then, you know, it sounds like a pretty big time commitment too. So I'm not sure if I'm ready for that, but man, it sure, it sure, it sure feels good to hear uh, the your perspective and what you've gone through because it sounds like it's been very positive for the most part. And um, I think anybody who cares about patients and cares about mental illness, they would they would probably enjoy it. I, I agree 100% what you said. Well, Cindy, uh, any last words you'd like to send us off with? Well, just, you know, if anyone wants to reach out to me, uh, the easiest way to find me is on my LinkedIn profile. If you just let me know that you heard about me through this podcast, I'd be happy to connect with you uh, for, you know, if you have any additional follow-up questions or just want to learn more about it. There may be a second business Could you for you could be a ketamine consultant um, and or you could become a franchiser. You could start uh, start your own franchise. I know I might buy oh, one. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, I have my first customer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cindy. Well, hey, it was great talking to you. Um, I'm so glad I met you. I hope tons of people get value from this podcast. Um, I certainly did. And I look forward to talking to you in the future. Wonderful. You too. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Okay, Talk bye. to you soon. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the Physician Negotiator podcast. For show notes and other resources, please visit thephysiciannegotiator.com.